Talking Records Podcast. Talking Records Podcast. Talking Records Podcast. We talk about our favorite records. Talking Records Podcast. We're so glad you tuned in. Thank you all for listening. You showed up to the right place. Jen and his friends dive deep and analyze the records we have grown to love. We'll tell you how we found the band. Then give you a track by track breakdown of all the songs. So grab your favorite beverage and pull up a seat. Today we'll look at another record in its entirety. Hello, welcome to the Talking Records Podcast. My name is Jed and I'm just a guy who loves music and learning more about some of the great albums I grew up on. I invite people on this show to discuss the albums, whether they were involved in it, or maybe just love it as much as I do. Today I'll be joined in just a moment by much the same bassist, Frank. Be sure to follow Talking Records on social media. We can be found on Instagram or Talking Records Podcast. We can also be found on Twitter and YouTube. Give us a like or a follow and we'll try to keep fresh content coming your way daily. You can also visit our website at TalkingRecordsPodcast.com. There you'll find episodes, merch and more. You can even drop us an email at talkingrecords at outlook.com. These are all great ways for us to connect with you over all the great music we enjoy. We would love to get this podcast in front of more music lovers, and you can help us by providing us with a positive review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you consume podcasts, as every review helps us reach more listeners. Also, word of mouth is helpful too. All right, thanks everyone. Based out of Chicago, Illinois, much the same release survived on August 29th, 2006 on Nitro Records. I discovered the band through the wonders of the internet wormholes and was immediately hooked. I think it was the Alternative Press website that used to feature bands. I'd click through and give everything a quick listen. They'd have MP3s or WAV files or something. Anyway, much the same caught my attention immediately with their melodic brand of punk rock. The songs had super memorable hooks, but wasn't poppy. I downloaded Survive and just loved it. Now, I don't know about you, but by 2006, music had got itself stuck in a super weird place. In 2003, CDs started to see a decline in sales. Bands like Panic at the Disco and the All-American Rejects seemed to command everyone's attention. Even some of the bands I loved had released some pretty stale stuff by the mid-2000s. It was mostly digital. I don't even think vinyl was a thing in the mid-2000s. I mean, obviously some people were collecting. But I recall prices for vinyl being really low back then. So, what was going on? The success of the 90s boom had led to an onslaught of imitators trying any variation to set themselves apart. Hey, throw in a mandolin, right? How about a dance breakdown in the middle of the song? I don't know. Maybe I'm being negative and it was just me stuck in a musical lull. But anyway, a lot of great bands did emerge. Much the same as one of them. And they knew something important. A good song is a good song, and the band set to work writing and recording quality music. Paying respect to the punk rock and skate punk bands that came before them, much the same also pushed that sound forward. They released a great record in 2006, something that definitely shot through all the muck and mire that was going on during that time. I am very pleased to be joined by Frank from Much the Same. 
Welcome to Talking Records, Frank. We are going to be talking about the band's album Survive in just a moment. But before we do that, there's been some some stirring in the much the same camp as of late. You guys have been you guys have been active. Yeah, it's it's been really really great. We did a uh, tour in April mm-hmm. where we uh, went to the UK with Belvedere. That's awesome. And another, yeah, another I love great that band. Their, their new record's such a fucking oh, ripper. It's so good. <laughs> it's so good. It's it's great. Like every night they played a camera obscura, I was just like, you know, pissing <laughs> in the air. But uh, and uh, another band called Wolfric that uh, is also from Canada and kind of part of that like Lockjaw, Thousand Island uh, Records family, and they're really dope and nice guys. So we did that, and uh, we also got a new band member, and we also. Uh, we're going to be playing quitters never win our first record coming up in October. Mm-hmm. We played a show in February. It's, I know that's not like super active by most band standards, but like for us, that's a lot. And like, yeah. we just have to do that much, yeah. which is great. Yeah. You guys are the, in the UK. You were recently up in Quebec, but you, you didn't get to go out to Quebec. Did you? <laughs> no, don't drink and drive. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, because you might, eventually hurt somebody or get a DUI, which is what happened to me. And the Canadian border laws are so strict right now. Like I actually found out I can't on, you know, leisurely go to Canada for almost a decade. And for anything coming up for much the same, you know, to cross the border to do shows, I got to fill out all these work permits and pay money. And this time around, it just, I I don't know. I did all the process. It's extremely complex. Yeah. Uh, Besides all the legal garbage you'll have to go through and living with yourself if you hurt somebody if you also want to go to canada cross that off your list because you're not going yeah <laughs> uh, so yeah it was a bummer but scott from 10 foot pole full uh filled in for me and you know we're really fucking thankful for that and was able to kind of keep the whole thing going and you know i uh i was very happy to like see the dudes like having a good time and i watched the videos and yeah you know it was a bummer like cheer them on I mean, from, I, <laughs> from back in the states yeah I, I, yeah, it was it was it was really a bummer though. I'm not gonna lie, but yeah, they went up there and and Quebec and you know that like whole Saint Therese area has always been so great to us. I've always said that out of you know we've done a few festivals now and there's one up there called Music for Cancer, and I would play that every year for the rest of my life because it's like the people are the best and the you know as far as like fans go, uh, the crew. I've never met a cooler group of people that like just hang That's out great. with and party yeah, with. That so, makes a huge difference. Yeah so, <laughs> yeah. so hopefully I can get something straightened out if we, if we're going back. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's a bummer. And I apologize for jumping around, but we were talking about shows and you did mention you guys added a member. You're a five piece now. What do you guys like bad religion or something? Hell yeah. We're bad. <laughs> five religion. piece punk band. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. So as, as I'm sure like if anybody kind of follows our band, you may know that uh, Dan, our guitarist, uh, had a really bad battle with cancer. Yeah. And yeah. and though he pulled through, there's just side effects. And mm. and he can't do some of the things he used to. And when he was actually going through like most of his treatment and we had the opportunity to go to South America and do a couple other things, we brought this guy, John, with us, Feliciano. Mm. Um, he's a guy that we met when we were kind of like in the meat of the band, maybe like 15 ish years ago, give or take. And, uh, he lived in California. He was a fan of the band. Uh, and we met him through playing a show and just 
our guitar, or not our guitarist, Jevin, our drummer, moved back to California because that's where he's originally from. And him and John like maintained a friendship after the band broke up. Mm-hmm. So when we were going to go to South America and Dan wasn't going to be able to go, we, you know, Jevin, I think, recommended John to come mm-hmm. with us. And like he just was, he couldn't have fit more perfectly. Like not only mm-hmm. did he get the job done, um, which was commendable because I, I think Dan is one of the most underrated guitarists in punk rock personally. Mm-hmm. Um, like I, it's, I it's won't so, argue with that. Yeah, no, he's so fun <laughs> to play with them. Like we can get into that later. Like, I mean, he's not a ripper, but he's fucking just good. Um, plays beautiful music. And John did a really good job of filling in with him. He was also a great band member. Like, yeah, never bitched, moaned, complained, like just kind of like went <laughs> with it. And like, was huge. sometimes with us, the voice of reason, because you know, like he was just like, "Hey guys, everything's great," and he's still that yeah. guy. And you know, long story short, when Dan was wrapping things up, and it was kind of like, "Hey, there's these limitations. We kind of need to move forward. We might have to do this." And John was a no-brainer to yeah. bring. It. And, I, and Dan and I was cool. With it. Yeah, a hundred percent. I mean, That's dude, great. we're all just here to play music and put music out at the yeah. end of the day. And John, you know, is gonna add another element. He's a different guitar player. He's more of like your maiden kind of like metal <laughs> strung out thrasher. And I'm not saying that's what a much the same record is going to sound like, but I think we're going to dabble into a couple guitar noises we maybe didn't do before sure. in the future because John can do that shit. And like one of the things I'm most excited about is, you know, we're going to have a show October 1st in Chicago and like John lives in Texas. So I, I mean, I'm just, I'm excited to see John. I love John. Yeah. Couldn't say when you're spread out across about, the United States like that, it's must yeah. be fun to reunite and play some music. You guys are also doing uh, Punk in the Burbs, right? Yeah, that's the the aforementioned show. So we're going to play that uh, with some great bands. Like It's, uh, for the most part, I believe, locals. Uh, the first day of this band, Kali Masse is playing. Uh, the Super Rad Counterpunch is on that day. The day we're playing, um, one of my favorite local bands, Lights Over Bridgeport, is playing. The Bull Weevils are playing. This other band called Won't Stay Dead. Um, also, the Hallow. Like these are all just like you know rad local bands. Area and bands, yeah, uh, we're gonna headline the event. So if you're going, uh, don't leave beforehand. Let the you know come watch us. <laughs> stick around. Yeah, stick, stick around, everybody, for the rest of the bands. Yeah. <laughs> don't know? come and watch your friends' band play and then leave. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, we're gonna do that. We're gonna play Quitters Never Win in full, That's which is awesome. Yeah, it's been fun. Like I'm learning songs. I honestly, I was like, shit, I didn't think I'd have to play this ever again. But it's been it's fun. A long time, yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, Chris wrote that record. He did a great job, and I'm like, it's kind of fun to revisit it and like see some of the interesting chord choices like he made that like I love mm. that I want to bring you know kind of back. Maybe. Yeah. That's awesome. Well, you know, check out episode 37 of the Talking Records podcast with Chris McGrath. We do discuss Quitters Never Win. But Frank, I'm having you on the podcast today to discuss 2007's Survive. On the timeline here, you brought in Jevin to play drums. Where in the mm-hmm. process did that happen? So our drummer, Mook, um, who we're also still friends with, who I don't know if I'm allowed to do spoilers. Like, he's going to play with us at the show, you know, because oh, nice. we still have, like, a relationship with him. He's going to come up. And, uh, you know, he it was just 
kind of, you know, he felt he was kind of like done with the band and that kind of lifestyle. He was getting married. He's got a beautiful family now too. Sure, yeah. Um, he just decided it was, it was his time and he was going to move on. Um, cause we were starting to like the touring was starting to become a little bit more and you know, it gets harder to be away when you have like things back at home waiting for you. Right. So he went and did that and we had played, you know, we, we put it out there that we were looking for a drummer. We played with Jevin's band called form follows failure, which were out of, uh, uh, St. Louis. Mm-hmm. And anytime we kind of went down there, like we played with those guys or like hung out with those guys, it was maybe like two or three shows. And, uh, it came up like right away. I think he reached out as soon as because form follows failure just broken up mm-hmm. and uh, he reached out. He did one tryout. He was the only tryout and it was settled. Yeah. After he, he said he, that and played, you guys were like, yep. Yeah, no, he nailed it. Guy. Like it was clearly like just like you could tell how much preparedness went in, you yeah. know, like he, he literally nailed it. And that's awesome. And he was just a good guy. Like we just didn't. I love, I love Jevin as well, you know? Mm-hmm. So, uh, and that's kind of how he came into the fold and maybe I'm getting ahead of myself, but like, he's a guitarist too. Like he can play oh. guitar. Like he wrote some of the guitar riffs on survive, you know, as well. And like, so he could like contribute actual songwriting and he brought this new element of playing too, because I probably say this every time I talk about Jevin, he's a left-handed person. He does everything left-handed, but if you watch him play, he doesn't play lefty. Mm-hmm. He plays righty. And like his power hand is his left hand. And like that dude, because of that, I'm getting kind of technical. You know, most dudes, when they're going to do a snare roll, they bring their right hand around mm-hmm. to hit the, the fucking snare. Jevin just drops his left. And yeah. it's like the quickest, like, like, and, and it's great. so, it's so fucking rad. And he's a lot of fun to play with. He just, every time we get back in a room together, like, you know, we're men of our, uh, you know, in our forties and like, he's still a beast. Like yeah. he just still like pounds through and, <laughs> you know, plays the songs, like even that, like pinch of BPM a little bit faster. And I love it. Yeah, that's great. And I'm a sucker for a good, like snare roll, like a snare fill or something. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's really cool. When we started to record the album, one of the notes we got back from Cameron Webb, who we did it was your drummer's amazing. That's great. <laughs> like it was one of the first notes. Bit of pride there. That's great. Hell yeah. You mentioned the, the songwriting, so let's get into that a little bit. You said when we were kind of talking off mic that you and Chris wrote a lot of this record. So what is the much the same writing process like when it comes to Survive? What Do you guys get together and write? Do you do separate stuff and bring it together? So we're talking about Survive specifically, correct? Yeah, yep. So with Survive, it was kind of a, a, a changing of the guard, though. Like, mm-hmm. Chris wrote Quitters Never Win, and as I don't mean this to slight on him at all, but like, as we were moving into survive, you know, we're like, okay, we got to put on another record. You know, it's going to be that time. He just, he just didn't have anything really. Um, So like, it's actually Dan and I really kind of threw down on that record. Um, Again, no disrespect to any of the other dudes, but like we kind of threw down on that record and started like write things and start to present things more as like things weren't coming from Chris so much. So, you know, those songs were just starting to kind of like develop from there. We would, you know, bring things in and just kind of like test the water because like we didn't want to step on toes, you know, like you kind of just there's this thing where like there's very few bands where the singer isn't writing the music. Okay, you have like a few exceptions here and there, but like for the vast majority, like if you got a singer guitar player, he's probably your Tony Sly. You know what Mm -hmm. I mean? Like Mm -hmm. it's your dude that's kind of like at the range. So I didn't 
know, like I was a little reluctant to kind of be like, well, here's my things. I got like, you know, yeah. these, and we just kept presenting them and they were working and like they were band approved. And like, we kind of decided at that moment that like we were, you know, we're a democracy. Let's like really, um, you know, if you got something to bring to the table and you, you know, people like it, go for it. And what was happening was uh, Dan was writing a lot of the music, mm-hmm. like a lot of the music. He just had crazy amounts of music. I was, he and I would drive to practice a lot uh, together because we lived near each other. And it was probably about a 40 minute drive easy mm-hmm. yeah. to get to practice. And if I'm just being blunt, we would, you know, at that time we were getting blazed out, stopping <laughs> at Taco Bell. Inspired. Yeah. yeah. Picking that food up. And like, it's one of my, my fondest memories, just him and I sitting in the car and like talking about the album and like humming melodies and like mm. is that cool i'm like literally just sitting there with a pen and writing that shit out on napkins mm-hmm. and handing it Taco in Bell napkins. <laughs> yeah and like handing it in like the most disorganized presentation to the guys and like and like well this is what i got here and uh you know and, and having to rewrite it and that's like that was kind of how it started out with that so but like everybody in this band writes you know mm. it's it's a blessing and a curse i say it all the time but everybody in this band writes like Quitters Never Win is Chris's record. I guess Survive is like mine and Dan's record. Uh, Jevin did write a good two to three songs mm-hmm. on uh, Survive lyrically. And like he wrote the main guitar riff to Take What's Yours. That's really cool to know that. And it's cool that. I mean, the voice of this record does not really change. It's not drastically different than Quitters Never Win. So when you say you're a democracy, it's it's clear that all of your fingerprints all over this thing, even if maybe two of you <laughs> sort of led well, the charge. Yeah, well, I think part of that goes with like, you know, nobody says birds of a feather don't hang out, right? So right, like, yeah, yeah. you know, like I know that as far as like lyrically goes, like this is a lot of what I think most of us would be writing about. Like we're not necessarily like we have love songs for sure but i think most of us like kind of have our own inner turmoil and if you read the lyrics most much the same songs like that's what it's about like it's just about like how do i live with the piece of shit that i am every day (laughs) you know (laughs) and i think that like it's easy you know for chris to deliver somebody else's words passionately passionately in that way because like not that chris mcgrath thinks he's a piece of shit but like everybody Mm -hmm. you know has to look in the mirror sometimes just be like man am i am i doing the best i can yeah. or whatever and like i think he do, do you get what i'm saying kind of yeah and when i spoke to chris on the podcast he had mentioned that people were often surprised that some of the lyrics were more faith-based oh 100 percent um i mean well i think at the time when quarters of ever wing came out like the band was still kind of like on that cusp of like christian band secular band Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Chris is definitely a man of faith at the time I had faith. I lost, but I gave it up at about 20, just past 25, which is like right after kind of survive came out. So there's going to be, uh, elements of that in there for sure. Like, you know, the greatest betrayal is kind of about that. you know, talking to whatever deity you're praying to and shit's just going south, 
And as soon as it's better, just being like, well, I'm just going to go back to being a piece of shit again because everything's <laughs> fine. You know what I mean? Until the next time. Sure. Um, you know, so those themes, you know, run throughout the music because, yeah, at the time, like we were, I think for the most part, with the exception of Jevin, uh, we were all kind of like agnostic to, to, you know, Christian believers. Jevin is actually a huge inspiration in my atheism because he's like the, one of the first people I ever met in my life that was just like, I don't believe in that. No. Yeah. <laughs> and to like wear it so proudly kind of made me like question things a little bit more yeah. um, and, and kind of like, you know, convert me to a whatever non-faith based way of living, I suppose. Sure. So, yeah. Or just finding your own way. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was very time and place. And like, I still love theology. Like one of my favorite classes I took, uh, I went to back to college after the band was, it was the Bible as literature and mm -hmm. fucking loved it. Totally yeah. didn't believe any of it, but it was great. <laughs> you know, it made for a good story, but yeah. Hell yeah. No, it's fascinating. Sure. Absolutely. While you're writing a lot of these songs, if, if you can remember Frank, what, what kinds of, uh, what were you listening to at the time? I think I was, and it's kind of awesome that you asked this question because <laughs> I can totally nail down what I was listening to. We were touring a lot. So yeah. I was definitely listening to the bands we were touring with. Mm -hmm. And I could not, you know, without these bands, we would have had no growth. Like these bands, not only, not just from watching them and their talent, inspiring me to want to step up our game but like other bands that they introduced us to just through like camaraderie of talking music so there's there's a trinity here it's definitely a wilhelm scream mm -hmm. <laughs> who like in those early days like i met those i'm 40 for perspective and they were the first tour i did at 19 when they were smacking isaiah so wow, like in yeah. those like first oh, like little bricks of our touring from like 19 to i want to say like 24 is 25 for me like that's who i played with the most saw the most um and we all wanted to be rippers like them, right? <laughs> um, another band was Over It, um, oh, yeah, yeah. for sure. I remember seeing Over It and just being like, we can do better. Like, you know, because Wilhelm, I was never going to be a shredder like those guys. Yeah. But Over It was clearly like a little bit above and beyond um, in their own respect. Like the timing is everything record was out. And I think Silverstrand was already out, which is like a gorgeously unique pop punk record. And also uh, Punchline, who like, Oh, wow. <laughs> the one the one thing I could respect about Punchline is I've never heard a band like better fucking live harmonies mm -hmm. in my life. And Take Action is a great pop punk record. And we were playing with those dudes. Of, you know, anytime they came to town, I think we did a couple little like three, four days with them. Um, and then they introduced us to a band called Procession Came Opposite, which is a phenomenal underground Philly band who's a huge influence on me. But like, I was basically listening to like who we were out with because the fat records catalog was there for me. I mean, it's there, you know, yeah. those records were, I think what, at that point it's 2007. You're on like, mm. what, what the hell it's actually, Jesus Christ. It's my favorite no use record. And I can't think of the name of it. I got a poster hanging in my wall. Keep them confused. Keep them confused. Yes. Keep uh, keep confused. You know, I mean, those records were there. I mean, that's, yeah. you know, we're always going to love that stuff, but like, this was kind of like a new school. Like, so I was just, yeah, I was listening to the stuff and the people that we were touring with and like, kind of like pulling from those directions. And if uh, the early demos of survive ever get released, you're going to hear a little bit more like chaos mm. and less repetition. And I think that comes from listening to bands like Wilhelm 
probably getting a lot into propaganda at the time too, or Gandhi, you know, a little bit more than I was too. And also listening to a lot more metal, actually. God, all these things are coming back. It was really getting into like <laughs> soil work and in flames. Oh, like, wow. <laughs> Pred- like Predator's Portrait was like a big fucking influence. I remember listening to the Great Southern Trent Kill a lot for Pantera. Um, you know, there, there was a lot of shit. And like working with Cameron actually pulled that in. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Because there was a lot of energy and ideas from listening to a lot of those bands. Like Wilhelm does the non-repetition song great you know what i mean where you're getting like parts and parts and parts and parts and like you fuck listen 20 times but that's just not who we are so i'm glad we got to work with cameron for him to like pull that in and like kind of make it you guys chill out a little bit yeah you guys need another chorus here yeah well that's great i love asking that question because i love to kind of hear all the little all the little pieces that go into it and i know as as a musician myself every time i listen to any of my own records I'm almost like a little embarrassed. I'm like, oh my God, I totally ripped that off from, you know, <laughs> from oh, this yeah. band or from that band. You know, I can actually like hear it. I'm like, Eek. I hope no one else notices. <laughs> Look, man, I hope Scott Shiflett or Matt Riddle never listen to a much the same record. <laughs> be like, dude, we need to talk. Yeah. Hey, that's <laughs> so. fine. So how did you guys connect with Nitro Records? Through Wilhelm. Yeah. Uh, through Wilhelm. Like we had just, you know, we did the record with AF mm-hmm. and it wasn't that we weren't willing to do another record with AF. It was just kind of like we were touring, like we, we'd we grown a little bit, um, you know, much the same is not like a huge band by any means, but we, we have like our niche and our people that are for us. Um, and we were like gaining those people and we, like I said, we weren't looking to leave AF, but we were like, kind of like open to another option if it grew the band Mm -hmm. and Wilhelm really facilitated that deal. And to our understanding, uh, Dexter was very interested because this was like right about the time where every screamo band was blowing the fuck up. Yeah. Um, 2007. Yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. 2006. yeah. And I think Dexter was really interested in putting out uh, punk records again. Yeah. And, and if you check out the catalog of who was signed, like we were all signed right in a row. Us, yeah. No Trigger, Hit the Switch. Like <laughs> these are all fucking skate punk bands. I have Gnarly. my notes. Yeah. There's a little burst there. Yeah. Yeah. And and so like that's I think funny. that's what he wanted to do with the label. And I think, uh, you know, I, Wilhelm like kind of got our feet wet. And basically like I know uh, Sean – who worked for the label came out to watch us play like and i think we were like playing with the swellers that day too nice. and it was in uh in uh a suburb of chicago and uh we had dinner afterward and just kind of like bullshitted and uh then we kind of got a phone call that was like hey we just need like a demo of anything like it doesn't matter the quality and then we did uh a couple demos like semi live and then like one that was in Chris's basement where we practiced. Hmm. And it was like the worst sounding shit I've ever like heard in my life. Box like, recording. <laughs> like, Oh God. And I was just like, I was, I remember like sitting there, like probably talking to my girlfriend at the time. I'm like, this is what we're sending it. This yeah. is what we're riding our fucking future on. Yeah. And it sounds, and I've never been like, 
I love sonically, aesthetically pleasing records, but like I've never let that shit dictate necessarily how I feel about a song, but this was just bad. Yeah. Like it was like, <laughs> it was like below, way below my standards. And like, I was like, there's no fucking way. Yeah. Like there's no fucking That's not way. Going out. And then they were like, cool, let's do the thing. And then AF was super gracious about being That's like, good. yeah, you know, like this is, this is the next thing for you guys, like go for it. And so we did. And that's kind of how that uh, happened. That's really great. And I, yeah, I remember around that time getting like really excited about Nitro Records, which is funny because Nitro kind of had that, that little burst when the offspring took off, but then they kind of, you know, they didn't really, they weren't doing a whole lot. I mean, they had some like what gutter mouth records out. Mm -hmm. Then this wave came along in the mid 2000s. And I was like, wow, Nitro Records is like, you know, (laughs) stirring some waves. I can't tell you like how stoked I was. I remember when we got the news, like Dan and I, again, my, you know, hetero life mate, like we were, we remember we were in my garage and I think we were like out at the bar earlier that night and, uh, you know, we were pretty drunk or whatever. And I think we got a text message or a phone call from somebody that like we like that it's done, like we're going to get signed. And I remember just like stomping around my parents' backyard, like just like, so fucking pumped because like one of the first records I bought when I was 14 was Terry Yakimoto. And like, Mm. I think when you're younger, you, you pay attention to things like the liner notes, the label, the, this, that's like that nitro records label, like was like, boom. And when I saw gutter mouth and bought that record, they were on tour with the descendants and less than Jake. So to me, I was just like, woo, like (laughs) we're here and one step away. Yeah. Right. And, um, and I, I couldn't have been more fucking stoked. And then you found out you were in this good company. Oh, there's yeah. this band, no trigger. Oh, there's fucking hit the switch. And like, we're listening to these bands and we're like, this is going to be tight. Yeah. And we got to meet all these people. And I actually just went and saw, I, I couldn't be happier for no trigger. Their new records dope. I went and saw them probably about a month and a half ago with Dan at a club in Chicago right after their EP came out in the signing to Red Scare. And I hadn't seen them in person in shit 15 years and, and they fucking killed it. So very happy for those guys too, but it, it was rad. It was like very good. Comp- yeah. Yeah. You know, it's been, you mentioned like the thousand islands and lockjaw labels. I feel like punk music right now is at a really good place. I would argue. And I think I was talking recently on the podcast with someone about this. Like I would argue or I would support the argument that right now is almost as big or as important as that burst in the mid nineties. I mean, there's a lot of good stuff happening right now. For sure. There's, there's a lot of good bands and there's been like, like, I think like Europe carries the banner a lot. Mm-hmm. Like there's a lot of very, very, very good European uh, punk rock skate bands, you know, yeah. like there's Darko mm-hmm. and uh, especially like now, like, I mean, they got the, they have, a, I don't know if you're into Darko or not, but they got a new singer now too, this dude, Tom, who like, we played one show with them. Like I heard the recordings, but then we played a show with him and like, that guy's just got some fucking pipes. Nice, so, I haven't heard him. Oh, dude, their new songs, like, I mean, the old stuff is great too, mm-hmm. but the new stuff is really, really uh, rad and uh, very intelligent as well. Okay. So yeah, no, it's really, really, really cool to, you know, like I said, when that record came out, <laughs> survived. That was the screamo time, man. Yep. You were oh, yeah. I remember. 
which there are good bands that are screamo, but like it was very hard to be a skate punk band. So it is, it yeah, is great. Out of favor for a while. Oh, dude, it was, it was gnarly. Like it was touring on it was hard. Mm-hmm. It was because we would show up to a town and we were the odd man out. Like every band was just like screaming and singing and then screaming and then singing. And yeah. then we'd get up there and it was kind of like, one of these is not like the other. Yeah. <laughs> so well, I was talking to Rory from No Use and he was saying that on that warp tour, it was like uncomfortably, you know, they were like outnumbered so drastically. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It, you kind of like, and, and it made you bitter. Like I didn't, I mean, there were some like really talented bands in that scene, but like, there was a part where I was like, fuck this bullshit. Like, this isn't mm. punk rock and blah, blah, blah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I love the use. I love story of the year. And I, you know, like anything that gets big, it gets oversaturated, right? Like, sure. you know, and the ones that are good still fucking really stick out, though. There's there's a lot of talent in that scene, but it was rough if you were, uh, if you were like, just kind of like a skate punker at the time or like a punk yeah. rock band. It was, it was a little rough. It was rough. And I didn't have a problem with that stuff, but it just wasn't my thing, you know? And I found that it was a lot harder to access the bands I liked. They were either changing or they weren't really doing much at that time. So yeah. I was psyched and, 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 that you guys had this great we, record out. <laughs> well, well, we have fucking screaming on our first record. Like, it's not like it didn't influence us. You know right. what I mean? Yeah. Like, there were things we liked about it. And we were huge fucking Thrice fans, which I think that was like the everyman's band. Like, whether you like screamo or punk rock, we all like agreed. We met in the middle, diplomatically yeah. at thrice. So going back to Nitro and all that, uh, did you get a chance to meet Dexter? Did you bring any hot sauce by? <laughs> I met him once and he was totally cool. Like he was super chill. Like just kinda like, hey guys, all right, nice to meet you. Have yeah. fun making a record. Yeah. Um Look and we man. got some of the hot sauce. The hot sauce was it is delicious. Nice. You know? I'm kinda <laughs> sad it took over everything, but like the yeah. sauce sauce mm. is great. Um but like I remember it was uh it was kind of surreal though because we recorded the record in two different studios. We recorded it the drums in Cameron Webb's uh, studio, which I believe is still, it was called Maple Studio. I don't know if it's still yeah, called that. In Santa yeah, Ana. but it was Maple. And then uh, we uh, did the rest of it at the Offsprings practice place. Oh, uh, nice. in Cal- and, this, and all of this was in California. Um, so it was kind of wild like to be like, I didn't think I was ever going to do shit with music. So I got flown out to California. I was there for like three weeks. Got to you know, record the record there. And then at the offspring spot, Dexter spot, like they had a fridge just full of beer and food. <laughs> but like the part of it was like, it was literally like, I remember they were kind of like, Hey, this is here. So you kind of work. It's not just here. Yeah. It's here. So you don't have to run around and go, down. but it was great. Like, convenience, I'd never, right? I'd never been fucking treated like that in my life. And it was, it was so fucking great. So yeah. He was he was really nice in that regard to do those things for us. Very cool. And you said you were out there for three weeks. So, what were you guys up to in California for three weeks? You hang out in Huntington Beach. Yeah. So we, like, again, it was kind of weird because, like, it was there. We were there for work, right? Like, yeah. it's still like work, but I don't know, man. I was like twenty three, twenty four. So yeah, yeah, you had some downtime. Like, 
So we stayed with this dude that we actually met through the band over it. We like offered out our, you know, his apartment to us and we like stayed with him. So what would basically happen is we woke up in the morning and Sean from Nitro Records would come by, pick us up. Mm. We would then drive to uh, the practice space for like a pre-production. And then that's where like we sat and met Cameron. And literally we just like played the record for him kind of as it is. And um, to backtrack a little bit, when we landed on Cameron being the producer, he had heard some like uh, demos earlier of some of the songs and he had his notes and we fixed some of it and some of it, like we kind of were debating what to do there, but we would get to the studio and like run through it all with Cameron and he would give his notes about like, he didn't write anything, but like I said, he, he kind of like tamed the horse a little bit. He was like, you have five p- different songs within this song. So why don't you narrow it down? And it's kind of funny because it seems nonsensical, but we were like, well, what do you mean? And he's like, well, after you do your verse in your chorus, instead of doing another part, why don't you try another verse? And it was just like, what the fuck are you talking about, dude? That's not, no, you can't do that, you know? Um, Because we're artists and, and, you know, we wanted to shred it. We're going for something here. Right. And I still love songs like that too. Like I totally love songs that do that. Um, some of my favorite records consist of that stuff, but he was just kind of trying to like, I think it was a good thing for us because we were so like overstimulated by the musical content of that time that mm-hmm. he gave us a focus, That's you know, he was, yeah. and, and he made, and like in giving us that direction, like he made us sound like we are now, mm-hmm. you know, and I don't think we would be the band we are now without him. And I think if we tried to do that thing where it's like kind of like the non-repetitive song, we've just come off as generic, you know? Mm-hmm. I don't think, you know, like when I listen to Survive now and especially like everything is fine. And even if you go back to Quitters Never Win, like Quitters Never Win is like a verse chorus, verse chorus record. And like I said, I think we were getting overstimulated by everything we were seeing and doing and touring um that we kind of got to like well yeah let's not fucking repeat parts or whatever and mm. I'm, I'm glad we worked with him to kind of like again bring that in so yeah we would go and he gave all of his notes and it was um the first time music was ever my job for a day you know what i mean yeah. that was all i did and it was kind of wild because like i think anybody that's met us knows you know a good chunk of the band like likes to party and stuff and it was kind of funny because like we're in california it was like all right nobody can drink or do any shit till like this is over and like yeah but that was also like cameron you know what i mean it was like i remember wanting a beer while i was recording he was like yeah no he's like when you're done he's like you can you can do that so it was like music was a job like you showed Mm. up you you, that's good you put your time in and sometimes you need a guy to kind of like steer the ship too you know yeah and then when it was over, it was in and out burgers and beer and weed and fucking enjoying California weather. And I don't remember. I think it was like February. So it was still oh. cold. Chicago. Perfect. You yeah. Know? Getting out of Chicago so, yeah. in February. <laughs> yeah. So That's it was great. still like, it was still kind of, you know, cool by California standards. But for me, it was fucking paradise. Yeah. I bet. So- <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> Yeah, I was curious to know how you guys connected with Cameron. I know he, it seemed to me like he was heavily involved with Nitro. I mean, he had done a lot of work with the Aquabats, who were also on Nitro at the time. Was he just like a go-to guy for them, or did you guys seek him out? Like, 
No, I think he was a go-to for them because like, here's the beautiful thing about Cameron is that like Cameron, you know, he's obviously this is 15 years. So he's grown above and beyond, you know, but the one thing Cameron said to us when we were working with him and what I think is very true is he was able to make budget records sound like they weren't budget records. Mm. You know, that was like kind of his gift. You know, Nitro Records, even though it's still Dexter's label and he's got that, you know, MTV money, whatever you want to fucking call it, like it's still a punk rock label, right? Yeah. It's still an independent punk rock label. So you're not going to get like this mad major label budget. It was more money than I had ever seen in my entire life to record, you know? And I was, and, and it was fucking great. It was like, you mean I don't have to do this in one day? Like I have like a couple days to get my parts. I can done. like settle in and... Yeah, maybe take was, a second was, pass at that, that baseline. <laughs> oh, a hundred and ten percent. It was like okay, that's nice. Yeah, yeah. It when was, you're not it was, watching your budget like <laughs> slowly yeah, fade. And I mean, don't get me wrong; like we had to watch it because records yeah, are expensive. Yeah, yeah. You know, no matter what. Like, I mean, if I told you what it cost to make the record and it was brought up to like a major label, it'd be laughable. You know, right, it, was, right. it was it's still cheap by most standards, but it was like still pretty awesome. I don't I don't have the fucking money that we had then to make a record now, you know? Right. Um, but I think that was the thing was, it was like, here's the best guy you can get because, you know, of course, of course we wanted to go to the blasting room, you know? And that's still like my fucking dream is yeah. I want to record. I'm a huge all descendants <laughs> fan, like huge all descendants fan. So I would love to fucking make a record there. And of course, like, you know, being fat record heads, of course we wanted to check out Ryan green. Right. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, like, and, and see that, but it was kind of just like, check out this dude. This is what he's done. You know, he did the, at the time, the latest social distortion record, you know, he yeah. done a Z I mean, and I'm a huge social distortion fan. I mean, I don't know if anybody's going to see this. It's the reason why I wear white t-shirts all the time. And yeah, you have a social D sticker on your base too, I think. Yeah. It's, and, yeah. and I put it there when I was like fucking 16 years old. <laughs> yeah. Like that's the same. I always remember that. Yeah. What's funny is like I have not to get too far off topic, but like I fucking have it's hanging right in front of me. This really <laughs> shitty Fender old school Mexican jazz, right? And these are not the Mexican jazzes that they make now. Like they're pretty fucking rad. Yeah. Like this is like 1998, maybe, <laughs> you know, and and I have in the other room this American beautiful Nate Mendel from the Food Fighters precision bass. Mm. And I play every show and practice everything with this shitty jazz because it's just <laughs> that's my home zone. Yeah, it's your comfort. Uh, your comfort. It bass. is. And now when I record, I use different basses because, like, I'm I'm not ignorant to that thing. Doesn't sound ideal. Yeah, I was gonna ask but, if you're bringing your own like road battered gear or do you pull guitars off the wall? Like, well, like you guys... something to talk about like the whole the whole survive thing is like the most amount of guitars i've ever seen used in our entire lives oh really <laughs> it was fucking insane like because we had access again this was in the so the drums were done by cam right yeah. i'm calling him cam like like my, my pal cam. cam yeah my pal cam i haven't talked to him in forever i wish i could we did the drums there and then we did everything at the offspring studio so it was like a fuck ton of gear like all of noodles guitars were there mm. you know so like a lot of this record is recorded on Ibanez guitars. You know who uses an Ibanez in our band? Fucking nobody. Nobody. <laughs> but but like the tones we were getting were what we wanted. And like I'm I 
I'm a fender guy at the end of the day, like mm-hmm. through my plane, but like Bernie ball was what we were kind of like what we got. And like, I don't necessarily love playing Bernie ball guitars. Don't cancel my sponsorship. Um, <laughs> I, <laughs> I, I need strings, but yeah, like I, I just don't love the feel of it. It's not conducive to my plane. It's not that I don't like the sound, just the way I play. Like I find a fender, oh, the yeah. neck, the strings, you know, how far apart they are from each other, even where the pick, or uh, the pickup placement is, sure. is, is, is ideal for it's me. It's really important to guitar players and bass players. I mean, that really matters. I mean, I picked up a Fender Jazzmaster once and I had to sell it because I was like, ah, I just don't, it doesn't feel right. Yeah. And, and I do want, like, I, I do want to get an Ernie ball just because I know like they're good for their things. Mm-hmm. Um, they're great funk basses, amazing funk basses because yeah. <laughs> the strings are far apart. Like, so oh, like, nice. I feel like there's a good, like snap pop, like mm-hmm. you don't have to work as hard for it. That's the way I see it. But either way, like I recorded that album on a fucking Ernie ball, you know, cause all <laughs> that stuff was at our disposal. While you guys were recording, you had some visitors. Zoli from Ignite stopped by to add some additional vocals. How'd you rope uh, Zoli in? Cameron. Cameron. We, we, weren't even there. we weren't even there when he was there. Oh, really? <laughs> he didn't even get to so, meet him? <laughs> so the whole thing was this. Did they even that, tell you? No. The intention <laughs> was to have Peter from over it do it. And I remember that Cameron, like, I don't remember this may have been it, but I think like it was something about like, and Peter is a phenomenal singer. He's one of my favorite singers and I still listen to over it. Survive actually shares a birthday with their last studio album. They re- uh, released. Oh, nice. I can't remember the fucking name of it, mm-hmm. but uh, we, they came out the same day. Um, something about the outside, but either way, like the whole thing was that Peter sing on the song. And I think, I don't remember if he did it, and it wasn't vibing or Cameron was just like, I don't know if Peter is the right guy to go with. And uh, I remember we were like, okay, well, like, well, what are you thinking? He's like, oh, I'll tell you later. Um, and <laughs> then it happened and it was Zoli. And at the time, Darkest Days just came out, mm-hmm. which was fucking also recorded by Cameron, which is where, you know, that, you know, six degrees comes from. Mm-hmm. And we worshiped our darkest days. Like that yeah. record is fucking killer so to have that dude like i just remember listening to <laughs> i remember listening to it because like i do a lot of the background vocals and i was like i can't hit that fucking note but that's awesome yeah <laughs> like i remember just thinking like that ain't happening live but <laughs> i can't replicate that. that dude who the hell i mean when i found out he wasn't in the band they got a new singer i was like whoo like all right here we go you know yeah. like but uh yeah we and we had the pleasure of touring with uh ignite uh, several years later. So yeah, dude. Um, but that was the Zoli thing. Cameron, Cameron totally hooked that up. That's cool. Yeah. It's a cool thing to have. Yeah. I thought when we got signed to Nitro, to be honest, like I was like, dude, I'm like, we're going to be 
you know, one of those bands on the war tour all the time. It's going to be fucking tight. And like, yeah. domestically, the record didn't catch on the way I thought it would. But, you know, in Europe, and then I would later find out in South America and be completely and utterly humbled by those experiences of being in those places. You know, at the time, it just wasn't fucking making its mark, mm. you know? And mm. I think it landed with with you know a, a small and mighty crowd you know like i i can't not get goosebumps reading the comments you know when we post something about like a 16 year anniversary and sure, yeah and seeing like what people like i am i'm getting goosebumps <laughs> you know people have to say about those things because you just you start a band you want to maybe do it just for fun or, or maybe you have ambitions of doing the bigger, better things. And even if you want to do the bigger, better things, you don't think they're going to happen. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you're just jamming with your guys and, and enjoying the local shows. But like, it was just cool. Cause like things were getting more rad around that time. And like more people were getting into the band and the record release was, you know, a packed fucking house at one of my favorite venues in Chicago called the beat kitchen mm-hmm. and seeing how many people were that were just stoked. And that record took us to Europe, you know, like we got to, I was 25 years old and I got to go to Europe. I celebrated my 25th birthday in Milan, nice. uh, you know, like <laughs> that none of that would have happened without this album. And then, you know, we break up and there's no intention of ever doing anything again. And then eventually, you know, a reunion. Okay, cool. A reunion farewell show. And we do that and we sell out one of my favorite venues in Chicago is this place called Reggie's. And then we decide we're going to start doing things again. I, I guess in the rambling that I'm going with is just like, I don't know, man, like survive just really opened up a world to me that I never thought was conceivable. I didn't sure. think open a lot of doors and, for you. And I'm not trying to be arrogant. I'm not trying, no. but like, I never, I was the guy that went up to a guy in a band was like, this song means so much. To me. <laughs> it got me through my last relationship to then have someone come up to you and say that is just like, mm-hmm. for real? Like, you know, yeah. you don't, you that's don't incredible. think that's going to happen and you don't think that you're going to be, you know, one day end up in fucking Sao Paulo, you know, playing to a venue you could only dream of playing back home. Yeah. And, and you know, just that, I think a lot of that came from that record. Mm-hmm. And I, I'm very, very proud of it. I know that uh, I really like my band because it's always on after I've been drinking. I'll wake up like one morning of like, I got the fuck is going on. I'll check my phone. And I was like listening to much the same, you know, that's amazing. Well, Frank, I don't know, man, like we could, we could try to dissect why it didn't take off. Maybe it was just the times, you know, the mid two thousands were kind of weak. Maybe it was the breakup. I don't know, but I love, I love this record. I would venture to say that. And I love a lot of music. I love a lot of records. I have this whole podcast where I talk about records that I love survive is definitely in like my top 10. I absolutely love this record. I would tell anybody who would listen back then <laughs> about you guys and about this record. Uh, you know, just anybody. I mean, I have friends that 
listen to much the same who don't even listen to any of this music because I just made them listen to it. <laughs> and thank you for that. And like, it's, it's, you know, you can't, every band guy says it means the world to me, but like yeah. it does, it truly, truly does because I don't know, like you only, you only just see yourself as like a guy who's just like fucking writing music. And you know, I'm, yeah. I'm, I, I, I've said this also a million times in like, you know, doing a little interview here and a little inter interview there is, you know, there's my favorite quote about music is from the wedding singer when Drew Barrymore, I probably said this on fucking having a blast, but like, you know, when, when Drew Barrymore, you know, says to Adam Sandler, Oh, you wanted to be a rock star. He's like, nah, man, I just want to be a songwriter. I, I just wanted to write a song and have somebody say like, Hey, I know, I know what that guy's going through because that's yeah. what punk rock did for me. You know, yeah. punk rock did that for me. That's all. It, it was the first time I listened to music that I felt like I was being talked to. Yeah. I like Nirvana and fucking, I loved Pearl Jam, but what the fuck were they talking about? Yeah. You nothing know, I like, can relate to. Yeah. Right. <laughs> and when I, when I listened to punk rock, it was like, here's a clear, like, you know, message, whether it be political or social or, mm -hmm. you know, about love. And, you know, to have somebody think that about your music is one of the most, you know, it's the biggest compliments you could ever have mm -hmm. as somebody who's like, you know, trying to make art. And I'm thankful for that record and thankful people feel that way uh, about it. And, and, you know, thank you for, you know, giving me a shot and our band a shot, you know, when, when it's all said and done. So. Yeah. yeah, well, Nitro must have had something going with the promotion. I I, I heard you guys on Alternative Press Magazine's website. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was, I remember I went and I bought, because we were like in the bands you need to like fucking know or some shit. Yeah. And like, dude, I think I bought like three copies, you know. <laughs> we made AP. Yeah, dude, yeah, hell yeah, we made AP. That's like, cool. you know, at the time, at the time, like I was like, oh my God. Like, yeah. you know, and yeah, it was... Yeah, that blew my mind. Because, <laughs> like, again, you don't think you're going to do shit. You know, you no. think you're just going to kind of, like, play some tunes, and if it happens, it happens. Great. Right. That stuff yeah. started to happen. That's really it cool. Blew my mind. You hope people like it. You're glad they like it. Um, I want to jump forward real quick to 2019 when the album saw a vinyl release. Was that the first time the record came out on vinyl? Or Yes, it was. Yeah, okay. I thought yeah. so. Anything that like has been on vinyl for us, like has been, it's the first time. Recent. Okay. Um, yeah. Which is dope. Like I look like <laughs> if you walk through my whole, like, you know, apartment, it looks like an homage to myself. Like, the, <laughs> like here's the celebrations of me's um, because it's just like much the same posters and like those records. Uh, yeah. But yeah, uh, there, yeah, those were, I think, sir. Well, no, I think everything was fine was the first vinyl. Because yeah, like that was yeah. part of like the vinyl revival, like every it was kind of almost a standard that something now been released on vinyl. So yeah, yeah, yeah. And then I remember Chris saying they wanted to get quitters, and then he's like, "Well, we we gotta do survive too. Have all three of them out on vinyl. It doesn't make any sense to have <laughs> two of them out and not all three. Uh, I think vinyl's the coolest shit. Like for like, oh, yeah. I don't even know. Like I'm so I don't own a record player, <laughs> but like, <laughs> I, I, but I do own like a couple vinyl, like just because I want the aesthetic. But like. Yeah. Yeah, man, I'm so pumped that our record's on vinyl because it's like in Wayne's World too. Like Dan and I were like actually watching it, and like Cassandra and Wayne are touched. It's like, oh, I'll never have like a vinyl. It was like little would Cassandra know, 
that in the year 2022 fucking crucial taunt would definitely have a fucking vinyl (laughs) yeah that's awesome (laughs) all right well frank before we wrap up here i just want to ask aside from the the shows coming up the burbs and all that is there anything are you allowed to say is there anything on the horizon music wise we write you know we write like that's it we just had it is difficult for us to write because we're so far apart from each other yeah covid didn't fucking help um (laughs) but like you know we write we did a a full zoom session like maybe two weeks ago where you know we just sat and like discussed and dissected a song that was in the works and uh it's a fast one if anybody's worried like about like you know if we're ever going to get too experimental um you know but there's a i know that like every you know myself and jevin and john for sure have been like kind of you know sending each other music and like um i've actually been working with john a lot myself which is which has been a lot of fun uh because like he's new blood he's excited you know and he's just also he's fucking nasty he's a river so um but we're working on stuff i don't know when and i don't know if it's an ep or an album but i know that you know for the most part i think until we ever just say that you know we're just gonna hang our hat up that we're always working and Mm. we're super slow i'm sorry but like (laughs) we are always definitely writing and working and like sending shit back and forth Mm -hmm. um so i don't know i don't know about the plan i would just put out songs whenever yeah just drop them online I don't know, man. How much attention span do people have for albums these days? Sometimes is like my, I mean, I love records. We're a niche now. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. But like if my favorite band just released a new song, like every once in a while, instead of waiting, God knows how many years, I don't know. There's pros and cons, but like, yeah, we're writing, man. We always are writing and we talk every day. Like, so, you know, we're always like in touch with each other. So yeah, I'm hoping it's sooner than later. I think it's going to definitely be a shorter period of time than it was between survive and everything is fine. I mean, because we broke up. Right. So right. like time around, we're not broken up and like, we're still like doing stuff, you know, we probably have, and we have a couple leftover songs from the last session, you know, that like didn't quite make that record. So it's like, we have everything is fine. I'm going to interrupt you for a second because I love the, my favorite much the same thing is that everybody gives you guys shit because your album is like, what, nine songs? It's the length of a full length, but because it's nine songs, like. <laughs> I don't hear anybody bitching about Master of Puppets not being five songs. Like, it's, no, that's, it. literally, that's literally what I thought. I was like, I I don't get it. Like, yeah. I mean. You're still getting the same amount of music. It's only nine songs. So for anybody, for anybody who may listen, you don't think I fucking wanted to have more songs. <laughs> you know what I mean? You don't think that like <laughs> I Kills didn't me, man. want to put as much music out there. Of course, I wanted to put as much music out there, but you know what? It would have been <laughs> mediocre and at best. And that yeah. speaks for the rest of the band because I didn't do a bunch of the writing on that record. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So like those songs, I can't just say me, me, me. Like, you know, of course we want to put out more like, but it was just not there. Like it just yeah. wasn't there. And there's like <laughs> one or two songs that are going to be left over from that record that make something else. And like, you're going to know why we waited because we <laughs> felt they're good enough to hang on. You're going to harvest those parts. Yeah. 
for sure like dude yeah. there's like one or two songs where i'm like dude when we get this down this is gonna be tight like mm-hmm. and and you'll be thankful that it didn't turn into an 11 12 song record you know we're like no that one was all right yeah like i think <laughs> it's gonna be amazing but like you feel me mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Frank. Well, I really appreciate you coming on the podcast tonight and chatting with me about Survive. Like I said, I, I love this record and it was really cool to, to learn more about putting it together. So thank you. Hey, I'm, I'm just thankful people want to fucking hang out and talk about it. So thank you very much. It's, it was, I had a blast. All right, I'd like to thank Frank for hanging out with me tonight, taking me through Survive, telling me about the recording process, Cameron Webb and all that great stuff, hanging out in California. I'd also like to thank Krista Makes from Lust and Jake for the theme music. Please check out episode 37, where vocalist Chris McGrath and I talk about much the same album, Quitters Never Win. And of course, I'd like to thank all of you. Thank you so much for tuning in to Talking Records. It's a blast to dive into these fantastic records, chat about the songs, try to gather up all the information we can into one neat little podcast. A place you can go and you want to learn something, hopefully, check us out on the socials. Say hello, suggest albums, tell us your stories. It's really great to have a community of music lovers to talk with. We enjoy interacting with you. Check us out on the socials, say hello, suggest albums, tell us your stories, tell us about your vinyl collection, tell us about anything. We'll listen. You listen to us. Peace.